Hello, welcome to the Weekly Song Podcast. Uh, this is the show where we write a song in the space of a week. I'm your co-host, Roger, and with me, as always, is my other co-host, Declan Kitchener. Hello, Declan. How are you? Hello, I'm fine, thank you. Other co-host? Does that mean you have other co-hosts here when I'm not, when I don't turn up to sessions? <laughs> <laughs> you don't turn up to sessions. Haven't you listened to the other podcasts? There's, you know, Duncan and Ian and Wendy. And Jane. <laughs> Jane. That's my mum's name. It would be funny if my mum was the co-host on the podcast while you were away. It's like, uh, we had to get someone at last minute, mum, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, for those of you who aren't familiar with the uh, format of the show, basically Declan and me, we each write a song in the space of a week, talk about how we wrote those songs to each other, and explore the creative process. And we keep each other accountable by making sure that we each write by Sunday midnight. We write Monday to Sunday. And uh, I think we both wrote on Sunday this week, right? Uh, yes, although oddly enough for me, it was writing slightly earlier than I normally did in that I wrote it on Sunday afternoon rather than Sunday evening. So if we if we keep that train of progress going, by the end of the season, I might write on a Saturday instead. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's actually encouraging for people to hear that maybe of like, we write a song every week and that sounds like such a oh, blah, blah, blah. But we do d tend to like push to the last minute and write at the last minute. We are both incredibly lazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. We'll get into it later, but I definitely feel like writing with a bit of a time limit kind of brings the best out of me at some points, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it forces you to make decisions. It's the same as like, uh, uh, we've probably had this conversation before, but it's the same as like making definite choices when you're uh, recording an album, like, you know, deciding, right, we can't spend half an hour mucking about the drum sound. That's how it sounds. That's how it's going to sound. We're not going to waste 15 like hours like deciding what the guitar effects are going to be. There's a distortion. There's a bit of chorus if you want something funny. There we go. That's it. Make make good music. Well, exactly. I mean, that was our experience recording our next EP, uh, Extra Play, where we booked a studio day, like in an actual studio with a real engineer, and we it just had to make up. decisions on the fly. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was good for us, because I think otherwise, you know, you can stretch things out for particularly with a home studio. You can be like... I'll do that when I have the right idea. But the right idea kind of comes when you need it to come. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, it, it, that's the danger of, like, self-producing, is that you just sit on something for ages and go, like, it's not quite right yet, but I'll think of the one perfect piece to put on this that will make it better later. And then six months down the line, nothing's happened. You go, I'm still waiting for that one really good idea to make it yeah. perfect. And that never goes away. You just kind of learn to deal with it. Yes, you you learn that perfection is a noble <laughs> goal, but it's an impossible aim. Well, speaking of deadlines, you said you wrote your song on Sunday afternoon. We're listening to your song first this week. So uh, what's it called? Um, it's called Witness. Um, I know the performances we normally do on this show are a little ropey, um, but I feel I should apologise for this one. Uh, it's been a very long time since I've performed on this instrument. Uh, now you know what instrument it's performed on. Um, yeah, it's called Witness, uh, and it goes like this. You couldn't leave well alone The first fold was to make yourself known 
Okay, that was uh, Witness, uh, the fifth song of Declan's from season 17. Uh, I love this. This is fantastic. Why piano? Um, I hadn't written a piano song in a while, so I thought I should. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was saying to you off, off air a second ago, um, it's been a while, isn't it? This is the first piano song in a little while for you. Yes, as you can probably tell by a couple of those missed notes there. Um, in my defense, uh, I recorded the demo for the song a little last minute so it's just like that take is close enough it will do um <laughs> uh, yeah i've uh the previous seasons the piano has basically been sort of buried under a lot of stuff in in my in my room in my space uh the when we were writing for the last season i was between houses uh so i didn't really have the piano to write with and I've sort of one of my things I wanted to do this season was write a piano song because I hadn't done it in ages. Uh, so yeah, I just last week I sort of had a bit of a bit of a muck around on the piano, didn't really come to anything, and then this week I um, had another go, and uh, it basically evolved into 
this and i think it's quite telling that a lot of um what's happening in the song are just a couple of my favorite things that i like to do on the piano so uh you've got uh the uh chord being augmented up to a seventh and then back down again uh which forms part of the verses uh you've got like the bass line doing a bit of a run up in the verse and in the pre-choruses and then just going up to the high notes uh just when i can uh <laughs> <laughs> which is 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 stuff that i just i i like doing on piano because you can't really do it on guitar as as well that makes sense i again i was saying to you um while we were listening to the song uh that I I always feel like your piano compositions are quite different from your guitar compositions. I feel like when you write on guitar, you either go in the acoustic or the more straight ahead rock, like or riff based type of direction. Whereas on piano, it's almost as if you're writing for a stage show or something. Um, I was just wondering what your thoughts are on where that difference comes from in terms of writing a piano. Um, thank you. Uh, that's a nice thing to say um i think with the piano it's because you've got more chance to create unique voicings easier uh so for example in the pre-chorusy bit of this song you have like um an a flat with a uh a flat g f run and then the chord after it is c e flat and then all the way up to b flat and a B flat A flat G run, which uh, is is cool. It sounds really it sounds really interesting. You wouldn't really do that on the guitar, like you couldn't really like mm. put those two bits together. So it, by definition of having like the two clusters of notes that can move on their own uh, independently of each other, it feels like it's got more breadth to it as opposed to the guitar, where you can do some very intricate things with guitar, but it's really like it, it's cowboy chords and then monophonic uh, lines as well. At least that's the default for myself because I'm 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 an adequate guitarist, not a great one. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably why piano songs, my piano songs, sound a bit different to my guitar songs. Um, but then I suppose this is is this true of like um, most uh, multi instrumentalists who sort of compose on one of two. Because you write on piano as well, and your piano songs do have their own like a uh, unique flair. But I think your sort of two tones gel a bit closer together, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. I feel like, I mean, you like loads of music. Your your taste is quite vast, but you definitely have more of a sort of um. You lean more towards like because you love the Disney soundtrack stuff, which which I think is great. But you're like you've like dissected it and you've shown me like the chords in those songs and stuff before. And I feel like that side of your musical taste comes out a lot more on piano than it does for me. Well, it's, it's easier for it to come out because you've got that much, that much greater vocabulary of chords that it, you can draw upon. Like you've got a maximum of six notes that you can play with uh, on the guitar. You've got a maximum of 10 on the uh on the piano and they're much easier to reach that's so, a good point i never thought of that before and it's also uh i can't remember who pointed this out to me but you know it has been pointed out that the um any keyboard instrument it's the only kind of instrument where all the notes are laid in front of you in order so it's very easy to sort of uh you know 
create these complex shapes that wouldn't necessarily be as comfortable or as functional on on a guitar yeah and there's more of like a a tendency towards like if you say you're even playing a c major on piano nice simple chord there is a, a temptation to be like i've played that so many times i'll move it a little bit so it has more suspensions in it um so i i, I totally understand that yeah but uh, this one was kind of fun to do because it's, I think, looking at how I've played most of the chords, it's based in E-flat, but the main chord in the um, uh, in the verses, or at least on the front of the verses, is a G, which, hmm. for those of you who don't know, is not in the key of uh, uh, E-flat. Really, I should be playing a G minor. Um, but uh, it's the dominant to... C minor, which is the sixth of E flat, so it kind of creates this nice little link between them. So you're not in completely foreign territory, but it does sound a little unusual. Um, and when I realised uh, like that was like the natural knock-on effect of augmenting the top of the chord from a D to an E flat, uh, I sort of realised, oh wait, this sounds dramatic. Oh wait, this sounds broad. Oh wait, this sounds like a Muse song. Okay, let's write a Muse song then, um, which is why the vocals are the way they are. It's a very bad Matt Bellamy impression. I can kind of hear the Muse, the Muse uh, side of this now. Actually, now you say it, and I know that you've been listening to Muse in the past week because um, you told me off air. But uh, what do, what do you like about the Muse style of writing that you feel informed this song? Um, it's it's a very particular kind of style of how they write is when they write their piano based songs or songs with pianos at the core at least uh good examples are like united states of erasure or um uh survival survival is a brilliant chord uh sequence because sorry i'm I'm just gonna go on about this for a second but it's like it's a b it's a b flat that then goes to a b flat augmented then to an e flat minor then to an f sharp and then to a b all the way running up the bass up to an F sharp, running back up to a B flat to start that sequence again. And then instead of like going up a uh, tone for the key change at the end, it goes down a tone. So it starts on A flat. And it's really cool. And I like that song so much. Um, Sorry, can you tell? Uh, (laughs) But it's it's that sense of like, like we were saying before, it's like that broad approach to music that comes more easily to a keyed instrument than it does to a strong instrument because i love muse's guitar songs as well i'm a big muse fanboy sue me um but um sometimes with those you can get the sense that they are being written within the limitations of the guitar like the album uh drones i quite like a lot of the stuff on drones but it feels like it's being written from the perspective of it's all got to be performed on a drop d guitar and sometimes that works really, really well on stuff like Psycho. And then some of it, you're just thinking, this is another Drop D song. This is cool, but like, you can go broader than this. Mm. Yeah, and I think Matt Bellamy is another, you know, you know more about Muse than I do. But from what I've heard, Matt Bellamy is another musician who is a multi-instrumentalist. And when he writes on piano, he does expand his scope of chords that he will write with. Exactly, yeah. Um, uh, but as well as being like an incredibly talented guitarist, 
but like even the guitar songs have a little bit of a classical bend, like things like um, Plug In Baby, where the riff like repeats in that really odd way around, uh, I think, a D and F sharp major and a G major, sort of get that slightly unusual pattern moving between them. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like that style of songwriting because it means you can then go into these big bombastic segments when all the other instruments come in. But also it pushes, it's, well, it's, not, it's not a great push at the limits of where rock can be, but it's kind of nice to think that it doesn't all have to be like riffing on a guitar, you know, mm. and particularly combined with his voice. That's my big criticism with this song is that I'm writing a pastiche of Matt Bellamy's vocal lines um, and I do not have the chops to pull it off. Uh, <laughs> for for anyone who has heard Matt Bellamy, uh, let's just hit like you know shatter glass with 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 the voice kind of notes. Um, you you can probably tell that I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're there. You're just an octave down from him. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But also, kind of that also informs part of the I think probably what the weakest part of this song is which is the lyrics Um, because I was writing it and it's got this really cool sense of drama about it when you put all these sections together like it feels just in its movements it feels quite big and quite like a statement and so I couldn't really sing over the top of that I'm quite sad and all the sad things that have happened to me um, it, it wouldn't fit with that sort of larger-than-life tone. So I sort of thought, well, what can I write about that's, you know, in that vein? And I quite like um, like old Hitchcock movies and uh, things like The 39 Steps and The Third Man. I know neither of them are Hitchcock movies. Um, uh, but I like that sort of noirish heightened sense of, like, you know stolen glances and you know there might be danger lurking around the next corner and that kind of thing so i thought right if i try and write words suggestive of that so the idea is that you know it's uh like a james bond kind of figure or like a femme fatale meeting uh the enemy agent across the dance floor sharing like a one of those coded like conversations or something running out to escape once she's got the information and then finding him there willing to sort of like, you know, it it suddenly turns from this game of words to uh, like a, no, we are actually enemy agents and I will kill you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which is fun. (laughs) It's fun in its way, but it's also kind of incredibly weak because it's not based on anything real. There's nothing wrong with that, though, and I think that as well as expanding your tonal palette on writing with piano, I feel like you've done this before as well. When you write on piano, you you feel maybe that you should write about something a bit more cinematic or something. Um, and that I think that's kind of why I said stage show earlier, is because it has got that more narrative bent to it. Um, I, I, I can see how that would work. Something like this might work in like a stage show as being like sung by a chorus about two characters. Um, but yeah, I feel, I feel that's just, it grew out of the tone of the thing. Like uh, if you take away like the words and everything, 
it, it's very clear that this is meant to be some sort of big but also sinister thing that's happening with the music. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, again, I imagine as normal, the music came first and the words came after. So I guess you yep. kind of, you got yourself into into that trap, not trap, that's the wrong word, but into that sort of like way of thinking of like, okay, this is a, because it sounds kind of like a villain song in, in a movie or whatever. And then you're like, okay, now I've got to write to this. And I think you did a good job with the lyrics. I was going to ask you what they were about. And I think you kind of explained that, but... That they sound kind of personal at the same time. Uh, no, this is entirely fiction. <laughs> I am not. Ah. A, I am not a spy for my country, uh, seeking out enemy agents over the world in like uh, you know gathered halls of the great and the good, uh, trying to learn all their secrets. Um, I am. I am someone who thought, you know what, this song sounds like it should have like a James Bond type character in it. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> the Femme really versus the Bond villain. Yeah. I mean, because if you were to look at it the other way around of like, okay, I've got this really grand sounding instrumental and I'll try and write something quite mundane to it. I, I think that wouldn't fit. So I think you made the right call. You could do it, but you'd have to be very careful about how you went about it and you'd have to be projecting... If you didn't have the right emotional situation, you have to be projecting a lot of, I was slightly inconvenienced this morning <laughs> and it ruined my world. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, either way, you've got to like really make it melodramatic. <laughs> and yeah, with a, with a voice like mine, that is quite difficult at times. <laughs> I mean, you say that, but you are the person who has... A villain's laugh. Your actual laugh is a villain's laugh, which I, I love. That's so cool. Oh, I never found my true calling. I should be just like <laughs> shaking my fist in impotent fury after Space Heroes going, Curse you, Flash Gordon! <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, the path not travelled, eh? <laughs> <laughs> you could be in space right now. <laughs> That's the title. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they just come out of nowhere, folks. We don't know how we do it. <laughs> and if we, if we did, we'd form another type, uh, podcast and just generate the titles for them. Um, <laughs> yes. I think that's about all I have to say on this one. I think it's great. Last question for this one then is: Is he going to do anything with this song, or is it just one sort of for the podcast? I, I in my heart at the moment, this one is just for the podcast. Um, if anyone who can like hit higher than um, the open E of a guitar uh, in their voice would like this song, please write in at weeklysongpodcast.gmail.com. <laughs> oh, look at this. We've just got an email in, in the inbox from a Mr. M. Bellamy. This is great. What's it? Oh, yes, I see that. What is it? Stop copying my style and become original, you very sad person. Well, at least he knows awesome. I'm sad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, accurate if if rude. <laughs> yeah. We were going to have Muse on the show as guests next week, but oh no, we've gone and ruined that as well. <laughs> oh my god, this is a running theme. We've got to stop insulting our heroes. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Oh so, man. Well, yes. I was going to say, moving swiftly on, um, <laughs> we are we are now at the point of the show where tradition dictates that you would uh, give us a song. Um, please do. 
Oh, da 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 da. Okay, uh, this song, <laughs> I'll give you one live on the podcast. No, this song is uh, a song that was started on midweek last week. Ooh. And that seed remained a seed until Sunday when I actually planted it and spent a little bit of time on it. So it's a song called Would You Believe? And it goes like this. I may prove my mistrust wrong or right Every day I lose my patience I'm not sure I'll make it through the night Color me in shades of purple, black and blue Stalks me every place I'm going to When it's through It suddenly flees If I take my isolation Put it up for sale And make my flight When I cross that by my side Every night I'm keeping sight for signal flares But no one's there What do I do? Everybody tries to put my mind at ease These things you see I've never been true Roger's fifth song for the podcast, Would You Believe? And would you believe he's written another classic? 
How do you do it? <laughs> this is absolutely amazing. I absolutely love it. We were talking off air about uh, some of the uh, parts of the song and what order they sort of came in. You said that you wrote this uh, one from an idea that sort of sprung up to you in midweek. Um, how how did that? How did this sort of first come into being? When did this well, song begin? Uh, so grabbing a guitar. So uh, I you were giving us a demonstration there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I gave birth to it like this. Uh, so basically, I was just watching TV one evening and uh, and just playing guitar as I do, just to, for a bit of fun. And I came up with this riff uh, which goes. I thought that's kind of cool. It's not the kind of thing I usually write. I don't normally start a song with a riff. I usually start by like stringing three or four chords together and then coming up with a vocal melody and going, that's the direction I'll go. But this was a little different. So I thought this song will be something where, you know, I grab my phone, recorded a demo of that riff, and I'll build off of that and it'll be like a rock song, like a very straight ahead. It's funny, you, while we were listening to the song off air, you said, like, Foo Fighters, and I was thinking it's that. It's like, very kind of, Foo fighters I like it. Yeah, it's then it, that was kind of the direction I was thinking, because um, I, I love Foo Fighters music. and uh, But I was quite pleased that when I sat, because Sunday was really the only full afternoon I had to really sit and write, so I was quite pleased that when I sat down to write, it kind of went in a different direction than just a straight-ahead, you know, eight-beat, four-on-the-floor type of rock arrangement and i ended up coming with that coming up with that uh vocal melody in the verse if i cut my expectations i may turn out be now wrong all right and like that kind of like set me in a different direction and then i kind of knew i had something more than just the riff that's kind of I would have imagined that came first. That's such a strong opening. The I would have thought that would have been the thing. But like it's really interesting that you started in the middle with that kind of where it goes a little off kilter with everything else. Yeah, well, I mean, when I uh when I sat down to write, I I started the song with the riff, the main riff, but I ended up moving it to the middle of the song. So that it's almost like a kind of um, breakdown. Um, and like you said while we were listening to it, like a place where you could put a guitar solo or like a kind of vocal um, improvisation type of thing or something along those lines, more instrumental. And I was going to start the song with that riff because it's a little bit different and trying to keep in line with the intention I set at the beginning of the season to have more unusual left of field uh, introductions to songs. But I felt like the vocal melody guitar riff, the da 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 I felt like that suited the intro more and it allowed you to get to the verse a little bit quicker. It kind of also implies that sort of chugged feel that you get on the bridge as well, like with the way that the uh, notes are falling against the meter, implies that doom, 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 like going on underneath it. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that's kind of why... When I really sat down to write and I came up with the new vocal melody alongside the original riff, which is, like you say, is a lot more driving and uses eighth notes as that as its foundation. Like 
I like variety. I like it to go from something that is like um, outside of the beat lines in the verse to something that's very much on the beat lines in the breakdown. And uh, and then the other part, which kind of like cemented it for me that, oh, this is a song I definitely like and want to develop, is when I got to the chorus and I was like, I really sat there for a while with the guitar, just trying, okay, I'll try it because it's in D minor, the song, generally. And I thought, okay, I'll try going down to C for the chorus or I'll try going up to F for the chorus. And it's like nothing really worked. It sounded a bit too kind of uh, cliched rock music. And so what I decided to do, which I've done a few times before, and I love doing this trick when I get the opportunity, is the verses in D minor. So I just changed to D major and the choruses. Um, it's and really, such a good trick. It works really, really well. It does, doesn't it? And the great thing about it is all of a sudden the mood of the song lifts and also the chord changes that you can play in D major, they hit a little bit different when you've been playing in minor before that. It also gives this sort of really nice feeling of like the song segments being distinct and having their own feel and flavour, and that's being signalled really easily, but also not sounding a million miles apart from each other. That's a good point, yeah. I mean, because they've still got the same tonal center at least like the root note is the same so you're not having Mm. to do any great acrobatics um quarterly to get back to your original d minor riff or verse or anything so um so yeah it changed the tone but just enough that you could get back nice and easily and uh but quarterly i mean this this song is really nice and easy because i mean i feel like whenever i write a riff I'm I'm writing the riff and I go, oh, that's kind of cool. But it's got a little bit of movement to it. But really, when you break it down, I'm only playing in the in the minor riff, D minor, G major and F major. There's a little mo- bit of movement in there, but it's just three chords. That's all you're doing in the verses. When you get to the choruses, mm. you're only playing three chords there. You're playing D major, A minor and G. And they circle around a little bit. But again, thanks to the movement of the the riff and doing a little bit of uh, chromatic stuff or pentatonic stuff around that, um, and also changing from D minor to D major, it kind of gives the illusion that more's going on than actually is. Well, because you've got the A minor there as well, you've got like the A and C common to that and the F, uh, so you've kind of linked the movement of uh, D minor to F and D major to A minor. That was an accident. <laughs> I'll be honest. It may be an accident, I'd but like it's a cool claim... accident, okay? <laughs> I'll, I'll claim it, though. I'll take that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, I mean, once I got um, the main sections down, and there's only really three main sections. There's the verse, like I say, with D minor, G, and F. The choruses with D major, A minor, and G. And then the main riff, which was the original seed of the idea, which comes in in the middle. And then it was just a case of kind of going back and really writing lyrics which I felt worked and the past couple of weeks I've been really struggling with anxiety and like catastrophic thoughts which has always been something that's happened for me in my life but for a good few years it kind of went away and you know to some extent you know it was always there in the background but like it came up in a really big way And we've spoken about how songwriting is a form of catharsis or self-therapy or what have you before. And I feel like this falls into that category so nicely in that 
it was so top of mind for me this feeling that writing about it was almost like it was it was just going to happen you know there's this kind of great sense uh to the words of sort of like this feeling of uncertainty although it's quite a it, it it's a driving song but it's also quite a calm song in tone but there is that sort of edge of like unsure sensibility to it um so like how how directly does this tie to like I've answered this question in as much or as little detail as you like <laughs> the minimum being shut up uh but like how much does this sort of directly tie into uh like your experiences well i mean it ties in pretty closely uh to just the experience of like the worst case scenario that's what this song is about is like uh a lot of, uh, particularly the last chorus um you know you and i we both like to kind of have particularly like at the final chorus of a song, maintain the same syllables and maybe some of the same words, but change a few words. And the last um, chorus of the song talks about it changes it a little bit. So like, if you lived in my shoes, if you were in my shoes, would you presume the same worst case scenarios that I see? You know, would you believe is the title of the song. Would you believe all these things that I have going through my head? Um, and it's just like irrational fears and things like that. Um, and for me, it's not even about one particular thing. This flits around whatever is top of mind for me. It will focus on my anxiety will focus on that and it will focus on what's the worst that could happen. So that's what the whole song's about. And I'm really glad that you said that that, um, general vibe of, um, uncertainty comes across because that's really the, the crux of the song for me. Uh, you know, I'm talking about like, expecting the worst like i say and losing my patience will i make it through the night you know um and just kind of like just having that sort of like inner debate of like is this rational or is this irrational and what would somebody else do if they were in my shoes so it's not even about like one particular situation it's more about like painting a picture of the feeling in general it's kind of quite a strong sort of uh, picture in that sort of sense. And I think it is something that we can all relate to. Like uh, we can all get uh, to various degrees, like locked in our heads and sort of thinking like, right, how badly can everything go wrong for me? Uh, yeah. But like, this is a very, this is very like nice. Well, nice is maybe not the word, but it's a very complete picture of like the eye of the storm kind of feeling like that moment where you do have a minute to contemplate and like, right this could all go wrong in five minutes flat. Uh, yeah. Like, let me, let me consider it. But I, I quite like, I quite like the words for this one. I think it's, you, you, you've got something quite, I'm, I'm struggling to sort of describe it, but I really like <laughs> it. Thank you. I was, I was laughing to myself early when I was demoing it. I demoed it a few, a few hours ago before the podcast. And uh, I was, I was looking at the words and I was like, they're not the best words I've ever written, but like me five years ago would be so impressed that I managed to keep the same train of thought throughout an entire set of lyrics. <laughs> You've done it. You've achieved the season goal. <laughs> I know. I know. I never used to be able to do that. Uh, to actually have a, a topic of a song that comes through quite clearly is like, I mean, for a lot of songwriters, that's like they, they manage that within the first few songs. But for me, that's always been a struggle of like keeping keeping on topic basically i think you and i both have a similar thing where like we 
write a brilliant verse one, uh, we get maybe to the end of the chorus and then we realize, wait, oh no, I've just written the entire song <laughs> in a verse yes. and a chorus. Whoops, what's the rest of the song about then? Yeah, exactly. I mean, because that's the thing, if your verse one touches on what you want to touch on and you feel inspired in that moment, it's like, yeah, what do you do? Like, my verse one... When I curb, if I curb my expectations, I may prove my mistrust wrong or right. So, like, I have expectations of the worst happening. Will I be wrong or right? You know, irrational or rational. Every day I lose my patience. I'm not sure I'll make it through the night. Pretty self explanatory. And then for the next verses, not only do you have to expand upon what you've already started to say and maybe finished saying, but you also need to stick to the same general rhythm. And the same, maybe the same rhyme scheme. You don't have to, but like I like to. Um, so in my second verse, I say, If I take my isolation, put it up for sale, and take my flight, when I cross that borderline, will I still see these demons by my side? So, like, it's taking the same theme, but taking a more, like, um, traveling uh, angle on it. You know, like, if I were to, like, you know go somewhere else would my problems come with me basically is what i'm saying so yeah i know what you mean you have to come up with like creative ways of expanding on what you've already said it can be very tough can't it yeah whereas like i think this week i had a nice out with that like with my the story of my song it's like you know it's a lot to condense in a short amount of time so i know that the chorus of the song has to be them properly engaging for the first time and the second time has to be, oh, the hero's got to die. Uh, so you've got yeah. a lot of time. You've got the opposite problem. You've got like haven't got a lot of time to sort of get from one to the other <laughs> in between and make it fit in those structures. So like it's it, it's writing into the abyss is great, but also you run the risk of running your ideas dry very quickly. Uh, when you sort of come at it the other way and go like, right, I've got to get from point A to point B. And then you suddenly realise, wait a minute, I've left myself nowhere near enough time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very similar problem, but from a different angle. Like, exactly. I think that that's the problem I find, not problem even, that's quite, what I quite like about songwriting is it's not like writing a book or writing a screenplay for a film or something. With a screenplay or a book, particularly one with like a strong narrative arc where characters progress and things happen and there's a, a resolution at the end, you kind of maybe write backwards. You go, okay, well, this happens at the end, so there needs to be beats in between. Whereas with songwriting, at least for me, like I'm trying to just convey a feeling. And if I convey that in the chorus, there doesn't need to be... What am I trying to say? There doesn't need to be like an arc of getting from A to B necessarily. There just needs to be continually delivering that message in interesting ways of just that feeling. Am I making any yeah. sense at all? You are making sense. It, it's <laughs> rare that anyone's going to look at like a song and go like, well, I think the plot structure of this song is all wrong. Yeah. They haven't established yeah. the inciting incidents. They haven't like uh, had the refusal of the call. They haven't had any of this. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, you're just trying to kind of like paint a picture more than anything. Like, I guess it's like painting in a way, literally. Like you're painting a picture and the viewer should hopefully get their own version of what you're trying to say. Yeah, just pick up on the vibes. That's what we're broadcasting. We're not broadcasting stories or mm. words or concepts mm. or anything like that. We're broadcasting vibes, mate. <laughs> vibes, man. Vibes. 
Yeah, I mean, it's difficult talking about songwriting. You know, what's that Frank Zappa quote? Talking about music is like dancing about architecture, but we try on this podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, what did we decide to do again? Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, you know, I remember when back when we first discussed the idea of doing this podcast, you, it was your idea. You were like, let's take the weekly song thing and make a podcast out of it. And I was so nervous. I was like, how do you talk about this stuff? So I was That was my... My nervousness about it, but I think we do okay. It's just, it's just when you get into the say, weeds. After like 150 this. episodes, like, <laughs> do you think we've got any better? <laughs> Answers on a postcard, I, please. I mean, like, I know it's a rhetorical question, but I feel like the only way I've gotten better about talking about music is that I stop myself at a certain point. I, like, listening back to old episodes, I'll make a point that's like a fairly good point, maybe, but then I'll just keep going, kind of like I am right now. <laughs> but I think we kind of get lost in the fact that we are broadcasting this uh, out into the world and we do kind of forget that we're not just having a conversation between ourselves our conversations about music can go to wildly different places in very short amounts of time um, <laughs> this is true so we do make a concerted effort to be less meandering and less uh, <laughs> less wild in where we jump to um, than we normally would be and yet the show still ends up like this um, go figure <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things you just have to accept it you have to accept that's the shape of the show um, but I did have a question for you with regards to my song which is how should I produce this I really don't know because it kind of full works band, acoustic. full band live band full band get me in it please <laughs> you got it you got it i think like, I, i'm leading that way too there is like a sense like with the sort of the way you've produced it here you're waiting for more textures and harmonies and things to come in so like it would be great to have like a, a live band formed of two guitars a keyboard a bass drums that gets you your backing and then you just slowly add in more and more stuff to those sort of uh major moments to sort of like bring the the sort of heft of the song forth uh, and then go nuts in a guitar solo in the bridge because obviously that's what you need to do there. It's you definitely to, leading towards that. You must. That. It's demanded. Yeah, that's a good point. I think the fact that it started with a riff kind of, yeah, it, it correlates with what you're saying of go with the more rocky full band, live band thing. And also the fact that even the more acoustic parts they kind of imply that there's certain accents for the drummer to do. So, yeah. So, I think it would be cool maybe to start with the main acoustic part that opens the demo now. And then as you get into the verse, it kicks into a more, you know, steady beat. Um, so, you I start know, I off like Simon and Garfunkel, you travel, uh, travel through Super Tramp, and then by the end of the song, you're at Foo Fighters. <laughs> if that weren't such a long sentence that would be a contender for a title <laughs> it's, oh, it's three you... vibes that hopefully gel into one super vibe <laughs> yes super vibe super vibe super it's super vibey <laughs> so uh what have you been listening to this past week in the in our regular item so what have you been listening to this past week <laughs> We, we, have we ever come up with like a proper title for this bit? I don't know, but we should have a jingle at least. So what have you been listening to this past week? <laughs> That's it. I'm using that clip from now on. Um, 
So I haven't been listening to much, but the stuff that I have been listening to is uh, older stuff that I like rather than going through Tidal's new release uh, uh, backlog because I'm actually fully caught up with the music I want to listen to at the moment. That's a joyous <gasps> feeling and I'm tremendously gratified to be in this situation. I'd like to thank my family. <laughs> I'd like to thank my fans. <laughs> I'd like to thank... <laughs> The person who didn't put as many albums on title this week as I wanted to <laughs> listen to. Um, so the the two ones that have been getting a bit of attention from me are uh, "Random Access Memories" by Daft Punk. There was a drumless version of the record uh, released this week, and I was very curious about it. And it's odd how much the drums add to certain recordings, but it's also fun, like hearing a couple of little biddies and things, and like really dissecting the mix without the drums being there. Um, mm. Like, uh, for example, a song like um, "Lose Yourself to Dance" uh, with the drums in it. I always just assumed there was a lot more in the in the mix than there actually was because it sounds very luscious and everything. Um, and then when you listen to it without the drums, there's like if if there is a lot of stuff in the mix, it's very well disgu- uh, disguised. Like the drums are actually taking up quite a bit of space, which is really cool because the drums in that song like are really quite sort of impactful. Uh, and then the other thing that I've been listening to a lot is the anniversary version of Absolution by Muse. Yes, I am that fan. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's been fun re-listening to that album again like anyone who does not like Muse and does not get it the one two hit of uh, Hysteria and Blackout that should show you why I like that band so much um, yeah that that's that's me living in my happy nostalgia memories for those albums that is so cool I you've recommended both of those releases to me and uh, the first on my list is going to be Absolution by Muse. Because uh, I think I think I owe them another go. Because I like the songs I've heard, but it's one of those bands where I never... I think they just weren't on my radar at the time that I really would have gotten into them. So I think I just need to give them another go now. So um, you, you say you've listened to Absolution now. What, what, do you, what do you make of it? Well, I haven't yet. Oh, I thought you said you had. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, w- I would love to say I've listened to it. Here are my thoughts, but um, no, I, uh, yeah, I haven't yet. But it's on my, it's on my to listen list, and uh, by next week, I'll, I'll have some thoughts for you. Well, let me know them because I'll be interested to hear them. Because I, I would have instinctively thought they would be your cup of tea, but then I also have known you for a long time, and I know that they're not necessarily your cup of tea. So, uh, well, we'll also see, we'll see where that goes. When you first met me, I was quite close-minded, so I feel like I've opened up a bit more and I'll like actually give things their fair crack now. Fair play. So I'll, I'll be sending you the really weird Muse stuff uh, next week. I'll be sending you all the B-sides, all the live cuts, 
Um, the dubstep songs, I'll be sending you those. Uh, <laughs> I'm not quite there yet. I need a gateway drug first, which is absolution. <laughs> also, you know, you said the wrong thing to me too. You said, I, I've gone through my... I've completed my list of stuff I wanted to listen to on Tidal, which means that your to, to listen list is open. So the only thing I'm going to add oh, for no. now, I'm not, I'm not going to overwhelm oh, no. you, but like I said before the pod, oh, during, at some point, off air, I said, uh, you've <laughs> got to check out Regina Spector. Because um, uh, I think uh, Witness reminded me of Regina Spector to some extent. So um, her albums are well worth a listen. Well, um, once my internet loads, you can be assured that one of those albums will be going onto my list of things to listen to. Is there any particular album that you would recommend? Um, I'll go with the obvious, Begin to Hope. Begin to Hope. I think it's one of those records where, even if you're not massively familiar with her, you'll stick on a, the first few tracks you'll be like oh her yeah i know these songs like they were really big at the time like 2006 or so there i have an option of a album with a white cover with 12 songs or an album with a yellow cover with 19 songs yellow go for the white one (laughs) oh too late i'm downloading the yellow (laughs) one I what do what are your thoughts on like if you're just getting into an album do you go for the deluxe edition or the regular edition uh, provided it's not a massive price difference, the deluxe edition, but I always make sure I listen to the original album in like its own separate sitting, as it were. Uh, yeah, good point. Yeah. So like, I'll I go through the here. original album, have a 10 minute break for like a, you know, cup of tea or something. Um, that's a lie. I, I can't be bothered to make myself a cup of tea, <laughs> but the equivalent. Uh, and then go back to the bonus tracks. That's a good point. Um... Well, for me this week, it's been um, it's been the White Album. Simple. Oh, it's a good choice I, of album. There's there's a lot yes, of good songs on that record. There really are. Um, I think what led me to it is the the you know new and improved editions of the red and blue albums came out and i watched a youtube video on someone talking about them and they did a segment i forget i think it was parlogram the channel parlogram who was talking about these new releases and he was talking a little bit about the white album tracks and i just thought it has it's been a while since i listened to the white album and uh, revisiting it it just really hit me what a great album it is and i started doing some reading on it and of course, it was the album where they really started to work, even in separate physical spaces, a lot of the time, um, on their own separate tracks and stuff. But I think it really works. I think it's um, it's a nice mixture of styles. There is some of the best Beatles recordings on there, um, but my goodness, it needs to be a single album. Like, uh, mm. like I love, I love the sheer ambition and scope of an album that can sort of have a 10 minute noise freak out like revolution nine and think yes i'll put this as the penultimate track uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i love an album that's that mad but if i was constructing it half of those songs would go and annoyingly half of them are great songs uh but there are better songs um like that if they had been if they had made that in the early days you can bet that that would have been a uh an album 
maybe two for the year and just load of singles yeah yeah that's a good point with the singles thing because obviously they didn't put singles on their records to give more value for money and stuff but uh because it's only lady madonna around that sort of time um which wasn't remastered in the same way that it was for the rest of the white album so uh annoyingly i have to get red and blue uh to be able to get the remastered uh, version of lady madonna Ah, oh, that's that's how they get you. Yeah. That's how they get me. Yeah. I must say that I, I went for a walk today and I listened to the White Album in, in one walk. And I was kind of considering that thing of like, should it be a double, should it have been a double or a single album? And while all, there are like the better songs and we all have our own list of what the better songs are, there aren't that many I'd cut, really. Uh I don't know. It's a tricky one. As Paul McCartney said, you know, stop complaining, it's the bloody Beatles' white album. I think the thing is, it's now such a part of the Beatles' sort of story that you couldn't really cut it. Like, you could have done at the time, maybe. Um, yeah. But the it, it's an album with a lot of character, and some of that character would be sacrificed by paring it back down into what we would, might consider a stronger album. Yeah, and I think, yeah, especially at this point when it's, like you say, so set in stone as part of the Beatles story, the the kind of novelty of the album is like, oh, it's so long and it goes in all these different directions and you have more George songs than normal and all these different things. Like, It's, it's an yeah. album that's got Wild Honey Pie and Helter Skelter on it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> along with something as beautiful as Black... Yeah, it's the same album where someone can, like... Uh, produce blackbird and helter skelter for the same project from the same mind like <laughs> i love the scope and ambition of it more than i like listening to it i i'm, I'm glad they were that bold yeah yeah same because someone had to be <laughs> <laughs> also it's it's a one of those albums too where george martin really shone like and he always did but that whole George Martin was the fifth Beatles thing, I really hear that on the White Album. Yeah, totally. I agree. Like there's 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 no question for me, like that's the biggest creative force that's not a Beatle. Yeah, exactly. I mean you hear a song like Good Night at the end of the album, which Ringo sings, and it's just like a G George Martin has his fingerprints all over that. Like if that were a crime scene, he would be in prison. <laughs> prison jerry <laughs> yeah so i i really that's enjoyed a, that's a unique though. analogy <laughs> yeah well um anyway so uh yeah that's been what i've been listening to this week um like you i haven't had a lot of time for listening to music recently but um that will change and absolution is the next on the list for me so i'm looking forward to uh giving that a proper re-listen I shall hound you every day until you like it. <laughs> until you like it. <laughs> it's a deal. <laughs> so that's it for this episode of the Weekly Song Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you've got any thoughts about um, uh, anything you've heard in the episode, if you've got your own song that you've written, if you've got any feedback, if you just want to tell us what songs you'd cut from the White Album, uh, then why not write into us at weeklysongpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube. Uh, just search Weekly Song Podcast and we'll come up in all those fun places. 
Uh, Roger and I actually have a little uh, a little band together, uh, which yeah. um, we've we've released an album for earlier in the year. The album is called Attaboy, and the band is called Schnookums, um, because I think that's funny. Uh, the uh, <laughs> you can go and check that out <laughs> on uh, Spotify, Tidal, iTunes, uh, wherever you find your music. Bandcamp, that's a fun one. Um, and yeah, Roger. Where can huh? people find you and your music and anything else you would like to perform in this part of the show? <laughs> perform? Promote? <laughs> I mean, I don't really have What much. would you like to do as the outro song? <laughs> <laughs> Baby like to... face! <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to perform my rendition of Good Night by the Beatles. <laughs> now it's time! To... No, not really. Um, so you can find uh, my music on Apple Music, Spotify, Bandcamp, uh, SoundCloud, all these different places, all the streaming places, really. Um, I'm active mostly on Instagram as far as social media, at Roger Heathers. Um, also, in the link in my bio there, you can find my weekly newsletter, and uh, which is also paired with my weekly Substack blog post. And at the moment, I'm sharing kind of the making of my next record called Racing Alone, which is out soon. And uh, yeah, I'm enjoying writing about music as well as making music. And those are the places to see it. So Declan, how about you? Where can people find you and your music online? Um, they can find me and my music uh, online in various places. Um, uh, the key ones you might want to start looking at are Bandcamp, uh, uh, Spotify, iTunes, Tidal, um Deezer, why not? I never mentioned Deezer. There's a place you can oh. potentially find music. I don't know if I selected that option. Go there and find out. Um, <laughs> if not, report back to me. Send us in an email and I'll, I'll get it sorted. Um, yeah, search Declan Kitchener. My album, Apathy Will Get You Nowhere, uh, is on them, uh, as is my two EPs. This sentence is so grammatically wrong. Um, <laughs> as are my EPs. Uh four old songs I recorded in this shed with Roger and the captive audience. Uh, one of those titles might not be entirely accurate, uh, but it's close <laughs> enough that you'll know what I mean. Um, yeah, th- those are about the main places you can, you can, you can find me and my music um, other than on the weekly song podcast every week. And we shall be here next week with another mm-hmm. two songs. Here, here. Yes. Two more songs next week. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to hear what you write next week. As am I for you. And so we must finish this episode with the ceremonial trading of Taraz. Tara. Tara.